Wake up. <laughs> I will try to stay awake for the show. I think I'll be able to be successful with that. All right. Hey, everybody. Hello. So I watched Spider-Man last night. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good movie, huh? It's good, yeah. That's it? Yeah. I don't know. Tell me why it was great. I, I missed it. <laughs> oh, because uh, it was... I, I thought it was just structurally superb. Uh, every... Like, every... Uh, point where you you might get distracted and start to turn away, it, it brought something in to bring you back. Um, particularly from... Uh, from just a, a screenwriting standpoint, I thought it was great. Like the about an hour in, that's you know the beginning of Act Two, essentially, right? That's when okay, you 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 set the you set the premise, you have everything there. Um, so this is when you got to throw in something to to keep mm-hmm. to keep it interesting and 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 to change it up. And this and and this is when they go into uh, the old Peter Parker's place and they find. The new, the other Spider-Man, right? <laughs> and they totally then they, they they add that little sprinkling, and it was it was really distinct for me because um, when I watched this movie, I watched it the first, the movie I watched before it was uh, this movie Venom, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. you know the, it was it was actually it was a Tom Hardy thing, and the thing was like I was interested in the movie, and then the second act hit and completely lost me because it just turned into a movie that you've seen a hundred times before. There's a bunch of interesting setup and then it just turned into this CGI shit fest. Okay. Uh, and this was like, Spider-Man was sort of the opposite. It was like every time you thought they were going to go, like even though the story itself is an old story and it's simply told, they kept sprinkling in all this new fun ways to play. And that's what... Okay. Like, got me interested. And um, yesterday, I saw Captain Marvel. Okay. And I gotta say, I did not like it. No? <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll put it in, in the bottom uh, tier of Marvel movies. I was really disappointed with, with, with a lot of it, particularly with uh, Rie Larson's performance, because I usually find her very charismatic and very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I could not get a sense of what the character was that she was playing. It seemed like it would go between she'd be sort of snarky, Tony Stark like to sort of like a Tom Cruise in 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 Top Gun uh, machismo fighter pilot thing to this stoicness. And there wasn't really the connective tissue in the storyline to connect me to her emotional states. So I couldn't tell who she was going to be in what scene. And so none of the character tracked for me. So it was just like, so I didn't, so yeah, it it didn't, it it didn't flow for me. And what saved that movie is Samuel Jackson, who puts a great performance in, but without him, that movie would have fallen apart. There's like there's a whole twenty minute sort of introduction that has very little to do with the movie itself, and just kind of extraneous and there. Uh, it's just, it, I mean, if a movie is going to play with with. It, it felt like it was playing around with structure, but then it has to have all the, and that's fine as long as the other pieces 
fit together, and it doesn't. And it really was just kind of tedious and boring. And not only that, it was like poorly shot. Like there's there's I hate when you do exposition and it's just people sitting down and talking to each other. Like I've talked about how that's, mm-hmm. that that annoys the hell out of me. Like you're gonna do exposition, at least do something interesting with it. Uh, either put it into an action scene or or make the camera angles interesting or do something to to um to visually add to the storytelling. But they had an exposition scene where it's you know it's just be a heartfelt thing and it's just two people sitting directly in the center of the frame <laughs> talking to each other. So like in Spider Man, right? When they're escaping Doc Ock, right? Mm-hmm. And they're having some exposition, but it's while he's like learning how to sling webs, right? Right. You know, so that, I guess that's kind of the opposite of that, right? Because you're they're actually having a conversation, but you know, but it, it's there's movement happening. You're yeah. you're um, you know, it's it's interesting in other ways. So so it allows the exposition to sort of get into your head without it feeling like, okay, now we're just going to sit down and explain to you what the story is. Mm-hmm. That's boring. <laughs> that's a lecture. That's not. Are we. Like, I really think that the only way, I mean, I know it's getting a lot of props, but it it feels like <laughs> it feels like Black Panther to me, where I didn't I didn't understand why it got so much props, like okay. other than the you know the social aspect, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. get it, right? Um, it doesn't feel like it it has earned in the movie itself mm-hmm. the right to be lauded so highly. You compare that to something like you know Infinity War, which I thought was great, or the Spider-Man movie, which I thought was fantastic. Um, I mean, the characters all tracked, and they were. It was funny. It was. Uh, it had, when it needed to be emotional, it was when. Um, you know, it, it felt like it, it 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 handled those beats really well, mm-hmm. and the look of the thing is just amazing. I mean, to me. Right. Mm-hmm. I, one of the things I loved about it was the way they got across the the spider sense, and more than just team. You know, they did the teamly line thing, but also when the first times that Miles feels it, mm-hmm. um, it's just he he didn't hear anything, but you see sort of the the back. You see sort of him in the room, and then it's like look out is displayed on the window, yeah, and. It sort of viscerally gives you this idea of, of what's going on in his head as this stuff is happening. Right. All these really wonderful touches to that movie, and I thought it was just, I thought it was a, a really, really awesome movie. Okay. Yeah, it was good. I just, I, I enjoyed some of the. Um, how do I want to describe it? The jokes at the franchise, or the jokes at superhero movies in general, or it see it actually seemed like there was like a, a relationship in writing to like the Lego Movie type writing or something. I don't it's know the same, same people. people. Is so, it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, it seemed like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you know it's Phil Lord and and uh, Chris Miller wrote uh, Lego Movie, and uh, I guess okay. I think Phil Lord was one of the writers on, on this, and they they okay. both produced this movie. Okay, well so, that makes sense, right? Because yeah. it really it it didn't it wasn't necessarily a sequel to Lego Movie. And it wasn't as jokes weren't as corny, but they were, you know, it's very, very relatable. It's it's relatable. aware of itself. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily taking the shit out of itself, yeah. but it's aware of where of, of itself and what it is. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's so it's not going to. I think that 
the writing is very inclusive in the sense that it's bringing you in on the fun instead of holding you back and saying, we're making fun of this while you stay there. It's it's yeah. like, hey, come and join us as as we celebrate this. And part of celebrating it is understanding who Some, we are. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, one of my favorite jokes is probably when the uh, film noir Batman was enamored by the three-dimensional multicolor cube, right? <laughs> And of course, I love all the stuff with John Mulaney in it, so mm-hmm. that was great, him being Spider-Ham. <laughs> I just, the, the beauty of turning, you know, of a really kind of interesting, um, interestingly shot art style, and then merging these other, like, merging an anime art style into it without it turning into an anime emerging this looney tunes thing into yeah. it mm-hmm. without it turning into looney tunes having it having all that weirdness work yeah some of the uh the way they did uh comic book paneling for some of the action scenes the first one the first action scene where original spider-man was fighting the big mm-hmm. green monster and miles was there just kind of trying to just stay alive right and yeah. uh that there was some interesting uh, framing and shots there. Yeah, so I thought I thought visually there was some interesting stuff. It, you know, not being a comic book person, I, I guess I kind of felt like okay, enough with the comic book stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it was a comic book brought yeah. to life. I mean, that yeah. was sort of the mm-hmm. the idea behind it. It was probably one of the better yeah versions. Of no, that I think I've it seen. did do that well. And uh, like I said, I didn't dislike it. In until the multiple spider like I, I don't know the first hour was kind of a slog for me though getting until it got into the second act. So you felt it sort of picked up at the second act once it once it got past the the basics. I think so I mean there was, you know, like when Dad dropped Miles off at school and he's on the loudspeaker. I love you, Miles. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that was, yeah, there was little bits like that that were. Interesting. Well, yeah, because you got to set up your characters and you got to give give yeah. them space to mm-hmm. fight. That that was one thing Captain Marvel didn't. I think it tried with that twenty minute mm-hmm. thing I was talking about, but yeah. it didn't really set up who these characters were. Just and and it, you never got a sense of place and and the sense of of the universe, which is what that all that stuff in the like about thirty minutes of mm-hmm. into the Spider Verse was about was just sort of setting up who Miles is and what kind of world mm-hmm. he lives in, right? Um, I had an interesting call from Shane the other day. Okay, he called me uh, with a physics emergency. A physics emergency. <laughs> I'm falling. What do I do? <laughs> that sounds like a physics emergency to me. Um, he was with a friend. I got of... about seven seconds. Help! <laughs> <laughs> he was with a friend, and he. Uh, had a question about what happens if you get to to if you're in the center of the Earth, gravitationally. Right. Assuming the density is normal. Yeah, I mean, so and... right. He his friend suggested that that you'd be weightless, and uh, he wasn't sure. And I, uh, and you know the answer to this, which is. I don't. I need the premise. I mean, so you're just assuming that. Assuming it's spherical earth of uniform density, yeah, just big hollow shell type thing. Or? Um, well, we'll get to the shell oh, part in a second. Okay. But right. no, assuming the 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 earth, yeah, uniform density. Okay. You're at the center, right? 
you're encased in molten iron. I well, don't know. It, it, for some somehow <laughs> you're you're allowed to survive, and <laughs> okay. there's a vacuum right in the center. Let's yeah, say a vacuum. Okay. okay, all right. So you would probably fall towards the moon. Let's ignore the rest of the uh, universe. Okay. All right. Mm, I guess you'd. I mean, what you, I, you you know because being in the perfect set, you're going to be off center, so you're going to drift back towards whatever side of that's why I hollow cavity is closest. Assume right? a spherical yes. symmetric, you know, spherical, yes. spherically symmetric Earth yes. with uniform density. If you're getting so you're getting pulled out instead of pulled down, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll if you can stay in the middle, you'll float there, and you'll have this outward pressure. You'll feel like. Like you're ballooning out, I guess. Well, so it's, it's interesting because this, and particularly the the second example I'm going to bring up, didn't necessarily become clear to me when I learned it. Uh, and this is what I was explaining to Shane, too. I learned the math first, and the math is just sort of there. Uh, and, and, you know, the math confirmed the answer that, that I was given, but it didn't make sense intuitive to me. Intuitively okay. to me, until like two years later, and I looked at the example again, and all of a sudden it clicked so much okay. easier. The math is there to kind of give you the intuition when you don't have it, <laughs> but you would be weightless in that situation because you're being pulled all around you by the same force, spherically, symmetrically. Mm-hmm. So you would have no. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> you would have no addition. You have, and yeah, your answer of you would be pulled by the moon would be correct because the moon would be giving you additional vector. It'd be the be the strongest gravitational pull that isn't balanced, right? Um, but it would be pretty minuscule, so you wouldn't be moving towards the moon very fast, right? So, so in, in, I guess in reality, right? So you say so you had this little spherical chamber in the center of the Earth, mm-hmm. right? And you were able to survive there. You wouldn't be able to stay in the exact center of that chamber. So whichever wall you're closest to would be the one that attracts you. Right. But so l- l- let's let's give another example um, that Newton uh, brought up in uh, his Principia, which is let's assume a spherically symmetric shell. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's an awful <laughs> circle, but you get the idea. Just a shell. It has um, a mass, of, and let's call the mass of the shell equivalent to the mass of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but the inside is an empty vacuum. And we'll also assume there's no other gravitational forces uh, in the universe. So you're, mm-hmm. you're alone in the universe inside this shell. Now, obviously, if you're in the center of this shell, mm-hmm. same thing applies. What if you're here, let's say, 20 kilometers away from one of the sides? What force do you feel, and in what direction? I would think the closest side is going to going to attract you stronger, more strongly than all the other sides. Mm-hmm. So, what force would you? So, in what direction? Towards the shell, towards whatever part of the shell is closest to you. And that's what I would have assumed. Until, but when you do the math, it works out differently. I didn't really get it until later. Okay. Hopefully, I can explain the why. Okay. In a way that that does that is intuitive. 
Um, your strongest pull is going to be at some point right here in the sphere. It's going to be pulling you the strongest because it's been directly there, right? Let's say there's the strongest vector pulling you directly right. towards this point on the sphere. Right around that, there's going to be points that are going to be pulling you slightly less and slightly at an angle. Right. Right. And that's going to happen here mm-hmm. and yeah. here. And then about here, there's a whole bunch uh, okay. more vectors, right, that are pulling you. Bunch more. They're all small, right? but there are a bunch more. So all, in, Do they all equal out? Yes. Assuming a spherically symmetric shell of um, the okay. same... You know, I get what you're saying. I get Uniform density. You're having it... The ones on the opposite side don't detract you as much, but the whole thing balances out. It's called the shell theorem. It's... Okay. Yeah, I just would have thought that because how it diminishes over distance, that the stronger ones would attract you towards. But and I just it seems like a seems like a cosmic coincidence that that balances out, right? Well, it only works again if it's completely spherically symmetric mm-hmm. right? yeah, and the uniform sure. density. But the yeah, this is the the interesting thing is that there's because. While this side does attract you more, mm-hmm. because of the spherical symmetry, there's a whole lot more that's, that's pulling you here. Sure. So it's so yeah. That, that's the that, that that's what the math tells you. And until you sort of get it, didn't like I said, it didn't really click for me intuitively. Oh, okay. Until well, no, later. I mean for me, actually, I probably have heard this before. And when you said it, it came back. You probably taught it to me actually, <laughs> but no, it makes. It makes sense. It just seems like what a fucking coincidence that that balances out. Well, I mean, it is an artificially set up yeah. scenario. Yeah. So uh, the coincidence is <laughs> it's set up to be that way. Uh, but the the interesting thing is that that's just that's the the reason why that is a coincidence is because gravity is a one over uh, r square force. Okay. So, because gravity is um, gravity diminishes uh, by the sphere by how far you are, are away from from a sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Speaking of r squareds and things, Pi Day was the other day. Yes. So Allie had some Pi Day stuff in school, mm-hmm. and they were teaching her, you know, some of the. I guess numerology trivia of mm. pi, like three point fourteen, fifteen, nine. You know, she had at least that much memorized. I think that was about it. I got uh, was it seven digits? Yeah. And and she was I forget what else other facts she threw at me. I'm like, okay, so what is pi? Mm-hmm. What does it represent? They didn't go over that. And it's mm. it's like it's not like it's a hard thing, right? Right. It's it and you know, sixth fifth graders can at least appreciate this whole, another cosmic thing, this ratio Mm -hmm. of a circle. For people listening, pi is the ratio of a circumference of a circle compared to its diameter. The circumference is 3.14159 times as long as the diameter. Mm -hmm. And that's what pi is. And they didn't cover that. Or to put it another way, the... uh... If you take a radius of the circle, you need 
radiuses to equal the circumference. You take you take a circle. No, it's the diameter, you take, not the radius. No, but if you take the radius, uh-huh. then this because right, no. it's 3.14 radians around completes a circle. Oh, well, radians, whatever that is. But no, it's this is if you take this length, okay, and you put that over into the circumference mm, diameter. The diameter, yeah. It, no, it's the it diameter. Takes not three the point three point one four diameters, not radius. Right. No, the radians is this length of radius, and you turn that, you, you've put that over around this, the uh-huh. circumference. Right. It takes 3.14 radians to cover the circumference of the circle. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's diameters. No, diameter is the full... No, you take the length of diameter, and you wrap that around the circumference, and that is what pi is. Go on. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. I... Go ahead. So it would be 6.28 radiuses. Anyway. Uh, so. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm thinking of, um, yes, it's, three, it's 3.14 to cover half a circle. Okay. That's why it's, yes, that's why it's uh, 2 pi is a whole circle. And that's why tau comes into it, because tau is, mm-hmm. tau is a whole circle. Okay. Yes, you're, you are right. I apologize. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, I put out the tweet the other day i'm like um pie day isn't what it used to be big pie has got <laughs> has taken it over we need to put more of the uh we need to put uh the ratio of a circumference of a circle versus its di- you know compared to its diameter back into pie day <laughs> or I, I said it more succinctly than i can right now but anyway i had my witty tweet of the month the other day. <laughs> it got some traffic jeff explains his tweets yeah, it got some traffic so um Poorly explain my tweets poorly, but yeah, I was like, at least start telling me all these pi facts. I'm like, okay, here's the the one that matters. Mm-hmm. What is pi? And she's like, I don't know. It's a number. I'm like, what does the number represent? I don't know. It goes on forever. Yeah, it does. Uh-huh. What's it represent? <laughs> so she must know it's irrational, right? It it uh, cannot be expressed as a ratio of uh, of any. Um, of integers, so that means it's irrational. Uh, it's transcendental, meaning it cannot be. Uh, well, it can be expressed as twenty-two over seven. That is not exactly pi. Oh, it's not. No, it's a good approximation. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. But you can't express it as a ratio of integers. Um, you can't expect it. You, you can't. You can't put it as a ratio of, of rational numbers. Period. Do you know how? It, like, if you had a program that calculates digits of pi, like how does? It, do you know how it does it? It's interesting because that was something I was going to bring up. Okay. Uh, which is, I talk all the stuff like I was because I was th- I was thinking about this the other day. I didn't research it. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things that popped into my head, and I'm like, how would you calculate? pi right you just like start mapping this bigger and bigger circle and then you like get the ends to line up is that how the computers do it i you know i'm just trying to well so i mean the the, i know that (laughs) i know that the you know the 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 numerical way to just the easiest way to do it is you just keep 
bounding your ex, your your value, right? So you keep estimating closer and closer, and at a but certain what are you point, estimating to, right? like you, well, you like twenty two over seven, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you, you keep doing that, and, and, and okay, it has to be a little bit less than this, has to be a little bit more than this, a little less than this, more than this, and so as you keep going, but how do you know these what... digits start to get sort of fixed, and these start to wobble more? Okay. Like the further you get along, uh-huh. you find that these values start to stay the same in each calculation. Mm-hmm. Right. So, since it has to be between some number higher than three, like some number uh, slightly higher than three point one four, but lower than sleep three point one five, right? So you know, okay, it's got to be. It, it has to be three point one four, and then oh, you get the that. next digit. All right. I mean, how? What's the process the computer uses? To calculate, especially with the computers that are discovering new digits of pi, right? Yeah. And, and this is almost like just numberology stuff, almost like the, those, you know, almost like tree three and those giant numbers we had talked about before, right? Because after, what, like six decimal points or so, like the digits of pi are inconsequential in calculating things that are very large, something like that. I think it's like six or seven digits, right? It, it's very funny you bring this up because this is the thing I was going to bring up Uh Potentially in the post show, but we'll do it now because I always bring stuff that oh I know the answer to or I understand. Okay, I wanted to bring something that I read and I have no clue okay. how to understand it at all. And this is uh, the Bailey Borwein Plouffe formula, okay. which is an algorithm that allows you to com- to compute the nth binary digit of pi using a base 16 representation. So no matter what digit it is, right. for any digit n, <coughs> using this algorithm, right. you can find what that digit is. Okay. It's a so-called spigot algorithm, or a tap, <coughs> where you can... So you, you can find mm-hmm. what some digit using this algorithm. It gets computationally more and more expensive right. the further you go. But this is that. Right. Is seeing what is in here. Can make your screen a little brighter. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know what's. I don't know what K stands for. And, and that is. Uh, let's see. Is that the base? Um. No, B is in. Okay. So, okay, the sum where k is okay. equal to zero uh, between, so pi is starting with k to zero to infinity mm-hmm. of that. Okay, so the formula isn't that crazy, right? I mean, the formula is if you want to find the fifth. Or let's try the second digit of pi, right? Careful. No? Okay. It's the second, it's the binary digit. Uh, yeah. Based okay. on calculating this in base 16. Oh, of course. Easy peasy. <laughs> um, that's right. Never mind. Because I see math here I could actually do, right? Because mm-hmm. if you were just doing um, 8 times 2 plus 1 over 4 minus 8 times 2 plus 4 over 2. 
And then you do 8 times 2 plus 5 over 1, and 8 times 2 plus 6 over 1, or you subtract all of those. And then you multiply it by 1, uh, 16 to the second over 1. And then you get your number, which is math I could do, except um, uh, I, kinda, I can understand how base 16 works on binary digits. I mean, I guess there's just two options, but uh, how do you map that to our uh, decimal digits that we're all familiar with? <laughs> um, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> uh, like... This, this this thing is, is is Greek to me. This is yeah. just so. It seems like there's an interesting formula there where when you have see, I was imagining something a little more uh, less. I got you know. I guess it's less math, right? Where you can imagine a computer simulating a circle and like well, here, seeing so... which of the ten digits lines that ends up best, right? And then make the circle bigger. And then see which of the ten digits for the next best lines of circles ends up best. You know, something like that is what I was imagining. This um, is the Leibniz formula for pi, which okay. is one minus one third plus one fifth minus one seventh plus one ninth, and you keep doing that equals pi over four. So and as you what's keep, the keep doing, you just keep adding a one four. You, so one over one over three. So the so the next odd number. Oh. Right. And that just spits out the next digit for each? No, it just gets closer and closer and closer to oh. pi over 4. Okay. So the number you come up with, you divide that by 4, and that uh, the further you go down this expansion, the closer you are to the constant pi. I see. But you never actually, obviously, get to pi because you can't express. That's right. the thing. Pi, pi is a number. Pi is, is a constant. It is an absolute constant mm-hmm. it is a number that exists and the infinite part of it is the decimal expansion of right. that the decimal expansion really the expansion of pi to any rational base mm-hmm. is going to be infinite but use base pi as one right and that, that, that seems silly but plenty of stuff is expressed in base e Natural log right. stuff, right? And mm-hmm. we use that all the time in E, just like pi. Yeah. If you use base pi, then like almost everything else is going to be irrational, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's the interesting thing about about irrational, really about transcendental irrational numbers. Most of the numbers on the number line are transcendental irrational. Yeah, numbers. so that was one thing that I saw in in a number file video is almost all the numbers are irrational. Mm-hmm. We only have names for a couple special ones. Yes. And that's crazy to think of, right? Because you're thinking about, you know, the way our decimal system works, and you can just add hundredths and thousands and ten thousandths and millionths and trillionths and billionths and quadrillionths and, you know, whatever is to the decimal places. And there's still an infinite amount of space between each one. Yes. Little thing. That's why the the uh, rational numbers is such a much larger infinite than mm-hmm. just the um, instead of real numbers, it just is a much larger than a set of rational numbers. Yeah, yeah. I think they're talking about that in the uh, the orchard, the orchard paradox, or the I don't know if it's a paradox. The orchard, like um, you're standing on the corner of an orchard, you know, and the trees are planted in a grid pattern, and 
the question was like, you know, like how far can you see into the orchard or how many trees can you see or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like at what angles can you see, assuming all the trees were like zero width and perspective didn't come into play and things like that, right? You know, like, oh, I can't remember. It was pretty interesting though. And it gets into about all the, you know, like how much space in the orchard is irrational versus just Mm. a few of the trees are rational, you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, and and so that that's the that to me is is the fascinating part of of pi is that most numbers are like pi, uh, and that that's the part that's harder to explain to people, right? Because you have to get into what the numbers are, um, and that's always like the weird thing about number theory is that numbers we think of as these things that, you know, are absolutely descriptive of stuff in, in our environment. But really, at least the way we've built the system of, of numbers, it's this object. Numbers are, are something that that are on, like, a, a sort of a label that's on, attached to this sort of abstract mathematical object that we just roll around. That That's what, you know, because you think of a number line infinitely spaced, and then you start to think of, oh, well, then you have all this complex number stuff and then you can go into multiple dimensions and they're all just part of this mm-hmm. you know, an infinite sided die yeah yeah i mean it certainly and i think i you know we've talked about complex numbers a lot but talking about the irrationals appreciating like how many irrationals there are between zero and one infinite is a number hmm? infinite number yes. uncountably infinite number yeah Because in between every one you can count mm-hmm. <laughs> is a whole bunch that don't fit in your right. in your notation system. Right? Exactly. So that's what that's really what it is: is things that don't fit in your buckets in your notation system until you assign symbols to special ones like pi. Right, and, and pi just happens to be just like e. It, it happens to have these certain things about it that means that we can sort of. We can find the constant value of them, mm-hmm. but we can never actually get their value in the system of of representing numbers that we use. Mm-hmm. Right. But taking a relatively rough estimate of pi is still a very valuable... Mm-hmm. It's valued up to like 31 digits for, for physics. Okay. Because that at that, at that point, you can calculate the... Uh, you can calculate the circumference of the, or use it to get the area of the universe to within a hydrogen atom. Yeah. With 31 digits. After that, you know, <laughs> the fidelity becomes sort of silly. Right. Yeah. And most people aren't going to be needing <laughs> calculating the circumference of the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To the deviation of a hydrogen atom. Right. <laughs> I'd be good with a few million suns fidelity. Uh, well, uh, kind of like what Matt Parker does online where he... Because there are plenty of physics and phenomena formula where pi comes up. Which means that you can use that formula backwards to calculate pi. By whatever whatever it is that you're looking for, mm-hmm. as, as long as you supply the other numbers, then you can 
solve for pi. <laughs> or you can just say it's three. Right. Like, and like for most people, that's good enough. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if your tolerances are that wide. <laughs> when was the last time you needed more than three when you were calculating pi for a physical, something you actually needed to fit? <laughs> I bet on your on, on your printer you right. do it all the time. No, no, I'm saying you. Me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Beer time. Beer time. <laughs>